Unable to take advantage of what felt like a home crowd in Munich, the Seahawks' comeback efforts late fell just short in a 21-16 loss to the Buccaneers. I'm going to be breaking down the game and much more on our latest postcast here on Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're in Germany and got to enjoy the game today or you're in the States, wherever you're listening from, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks came into today's game in Munich riding a four-game winning streak. Unfortunately, that streak has come to an end with Tom Brady and company being just a little too much in a 21-16 victory at Alliance Arena. Certainly not a fun situation for the Seahawks when you consider they were shut out in the first half and the offense looked abysmal. Really, that was the toughest stretch we've seen since week two. And unfortunately, they were not able to overcome that, even though they did give a valiant comeback effort in the final quarter. I'm going to be dishing out my game balls, playing some three up, three down, and diving into other key storylines here on our latest postcast. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. Now for your lead story here on our postcast edition of Locked on Seahawks. The Seahawks came into today's game in Germany, a historic one at that, the first regular season game in NFL history to be played in Germany riding a four-game winning streak, sitting at 6-3, first place in the NFC West. Unfortunately, that streak has been snapped, and whether you want to say it was jet lag or not, the Seahawks came out as flat as we have seen them all season long. No points in the first half, five possessions resulting in five Michael Dixon punts. They couldn't run the football, and Geno Smith was accurate. He was completing passes but they just weren't able to get any of their drives rolling. They, could, they couldn't sustain them. The third downs were a major issue, 0 for 5 in the first half. And even though Gino was completing a lot of his passes, they were behind the sticks and having difficult third down situations frequently. And without that thing started to snowball a little bit. And really a 14-0 deficit at halftime, it felt like they were down four touchdowns because the Buccaneers were punching them in the mouth on offense and defense. The physicality that we'd seen the Seahawks play with in their four-game winning streak really shifted over to the Buccaneers. They were the enforcers on both sides of the football. So again, whether you want to call it jet lag or simply a case they just came out and just didn't play well, the Seahawks did not do near enough on offense, and they had 39 rushing yards in this game. It was 37 if you uh, offset a play that came late in the game, but they were one for nine on third down in the contest. No third down conversions in the first half. Ken Walker the third held to eight rushing yards on seven carries. He had three carries in the second half, finished with 17 rushing yards, so easily his worst game as a pro, and again, Five Michael Dixon punts on the offensive side of the football. And you can even say the coming out flat ended up transforming into the defense late too. They got two quick stops on defense. They forced the three and out, and then the Buccaneers missed a field goal. But after that point, Tampa Bay was able to do something that they have not been able to do 
all season long. They got their running game rolling with Leonard Fournette and rookie Rashad White. Even late in the game, their third stringer Vaughn came in and had a crucial first down pickup as a receiver. The run game really killed the Seahawks in this matchup. And when Pete Carroll was talking about a missed opportunity at the end, there's a lot of different interpretations of that. Geno Smith had a fumble near the red zone after they were gifted a turnover. I'm still trying to figure out. It's just like when DJ Dallas threw an interception in their four running back personnel for the Seahawks in week two. Leonard Fournette trying to throw a pass to Tom Brady with Tariq Woolen in coverage, a gimme interception. The Seahawks then drove all the way down to the Buccaneers 22. They've got second and nine. They get a chance to get a touchdown and suddenly make this a football game in the middle of the third quarter. And then Geno Smith fumbles trying to get away from the pass rush as a scrambler. Buccaneers recover. You could look at it from that case. But to me, this was a missed opportunity because it seemed like the Seahawks, I don't know if they want to if they came in overconfident. I don't know if they came in overlooking the Buccaneers. But that's what it felt like from a run game standpoint. It's almost like they felt like going in, well, we're going to shut down their run game regardless because they were the 32nd ranked run offense in the NFL. They were averaging under 61 yards a game. They surpassed that early in the second quarter. So the Seahawks were having all kinds of problems with their gaps and tackling and the Buccaneers were taking advantage of it. They were running the football down the Seahawks throats. And that was a big piece of the puzzle for them being so good on third down and being able to score two touchdowns in that quarter to get a 14 nothing lead. The Seahawks were not able to respond to that offensively. Second half, they did make things interesting, but it really was a missed opportunity because they didn't take advantage of the weaknesses of the Buccaneers, and they let their biggest weakness become a strength in this football game just by out-muscling them, out-physicaling them in this football game, and you never want to have that happen in the NFL. You know Pete Carroll was kicking himself at the end wondering what happened because the Buccaneers were not supposed to come into this game and impose their will on the Seahawks with an offensive line missing two starters in the interior and all the retirements and free agency losses they had in the interior this offseason. This offensive line has really struggled for the Buccaneers, but they came out and they really, from the first play, from the outset, they set the tone and the Seahawks defensive line was not able to respond to that. They struggled throughout the game and the Buccaneers, by the fourth quarter, they were able to clinch things. After the Seahawks had cut it to a five-point lead on Geno Smith's second touchdown pass, it didn't matter because Rashad White went to work, had a 12-18 and 18 yard run in that final drive, and the Seahawks just had too many breakdowns, too many missed tackles today with their run defense. It looked eerily similar to the first five weeks of the season, not the last four games where they have been so effective holding running backs in check. The Buccaneers were able to get that run game going. And so, again, you know Pete Carroll and his coaching staff, they're kicking themselves because if you would have told Pete Carroll before the game they were going to lose this one, probably because their run defense struggled, that's probably the last thing they would have expected. But I did find it peculiar that they decided to have Brian Monet as a healthy scratch and not play in this game. That kind of sent that message that, well, we feel like we just need the more athletic guys that can rush the passer because this team can't run the football. They missed number 90 today in the trenches, and the Buccaneers were able to take advantage of it. Who knows how differently things would have played out if Brian Monet played in this game. He hasn't played a lot of snaps in recent weeks, only four snaps last week despite being healthy. But maybe they needed him a little bit more than they thought going into this matchup. And that came back to bite him a little bit, I think. The run defense, just in general, it looked like the first month of the season. And that is not a good thing. They're going to have to go back to the drawing board after the bye week and see if they can figure out what went wrong. 
because moving forward, they're going to be playing some teams with talent running backs. So the Raiders are going to have Josh Jacobs back there coming up, and they're going to have to deal with the 49ers rushing attack with Christian McCaffrey soon. This is going to have to be cleaned up and get back to the way they played the last four games because that really put them behind the eight ball in this game. The Buccaneers were able to get a lot of really good plays on first and second down, and it made for easy third down conversions, and that's why they went 10 for 15 in this game. Some of that was Tom Brady making some good passes on first and second down for six, seven, eight-yard gains, but a lot of it had to do with the running game, whereas the Seahawks, they couldn't get any yardage on first and second down runs and it was consistently putting Geno Smith in third and long situations, and the offense was not able to sustain drives results. So you had 180-degree differences between these two offenses in this game, and I think that really was the biggest difference maker that ended up hurting the Seahawks in this one. Even though they only lost by five, it was never a game that felt that close. So the Seahawks are going to have to look back at what went wrong and, and try to fix things. They do have the bye week now. They're still 6-4, and four, way better than I think most people anticipated they would be going into their bye week, but this is definitely going to be a game they're going to want to regroup from because they had chances to win it. As bad as the first half was, they still had chances to win it, and they couldn't take advantage of the opportunities that were presented to them. So this is one that's going to sting for a little bit, and, and they get to hold on to a little bit with this bye week, and then they can shift their focus to the Raiders and hopefully get back to their winning ways in week 12. Coming up next, I'm going to get to my weekly game balls. There still were plenty of stellar performances for the Seahawks in this game in Germany. I'll look at offense, defense, special teams, my game ball winners coming up next year on our postcast edition of Locked On Seahawks. Today's postcast is brought to you by Total Wine and More. This holiday season, find what you love at Total Wine and More. With so many great bottles to choose from, it's easy to find a favorite single barrel bourbon or the perfect gifts for everyone on your list with some help from a friendly guide and all the confidence of knowing you found something special for the lowest price. Find what you love, love what you find only at Total Wine and More. Curbside pickup and delivery is available in most areas. TotalWine.com to learn more. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly and of course, be 21. You're listening to the weekly Locked on Seahawks postcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, to the 12s out there, wherever you are, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And, of course, an embrace to our new listeners. Glad to have you on board as we break down the Seahawks' disappointing loss to the Buccaneers in Germany. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked on Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter to the most uh, the biggest stories in sports go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's get to our weekly game balls. Just like with victories, there were plenty of stellar performances for the Seahawks today, and they did make it interesting. They had an opportunity late if they could have gotten a defensive stop. They weren't able to do that, though, unfortunately, and the Buccaneers were able to take a couple knees and melt the rest of the clock. But there were some stellar performances on both sides of the football, in particular on the offensive side. Now, I had a few players that I considered here for the offensive player of the game. Nobody was perfect on that side of the football, especially only scoring 16 points. But I, I got to go with the man that, yes, he made one of the biggest mistakes in this game, but he also was the one that willed the Seahawks back into this game, and that is Geno Smith. He gets his fourth game ball of the season, 23 for 33, 275 yards, two touchdowns. If you look at that stat line, again, Geno was very efficient with his opportunities, completed a high percentage of his passes, 
275 yards, almost got to the 300-yard mark. And some of that was out of necessity. The Seahawks just could not run the football this week at all. Ken Walker the third held to 17 yards, a career low as a starter. Uh, that was disappointing, seeing that they couldn't find a way to get their run game going. But Geno Smith was able to get this offense untracked. And I was impressed with what he did on the opening drive of the second half because the first half the Seahawks had five possessions. They punted all five times. That included once when they had a really good starting field position past midfield and they could not sustain the drive. They couldn't get the third down conversions. They struggled with the entire half. He comes out in the second half and Shane Waldron can get some credit for this as well. They kind of scrapped the run game at that point and said, we're going to put the football in Geno's hands and be aggressive. He had four straight passes to open that drive that all went for first downs, and it got the Seahawks deep into Buccaneers territory. The drive eventually stalled out, and they got lucky that Jason Myers has been great for 50-plus yards because a DK Metcalf unsportsmanlike penalty pushed it back to a 55-yard kick, but he split the uprights, and they were on the board, and it was suddenly 14-3. to The game felt like it was somewhat manageable at that point if they could get some stops and the offense looked like they were finding their rhythm. So I thought Geno Smith after that point played much better than he did in the first half. Even though the third downs didn't come the entire game, they struggled. They were one for nine there. They weren't getting the third down a lot of the time because Geno Smith was letting it rip on first and second down and firing the football all over the field. He was getting a number of receivers involved again. DK Metcalf leading the team in yardage, but Noah Fant had several nice catches. Marquise Goodwin had several nice catches. A couple of the other tight ends, Will Disley, got a couple receptions on that drive. The Seahawks came out, and it looked like the offense that we have seen most of this season, whereas the first half, it's like, who are these imposters? What's going on here? I just thought Geno played very well in the second half. Aside from that fumble, that was a big mistake. There were a couple other plays where he tried to extend things, getting away from pass rushers in the first half that re uh, resulted in sacks. But I think you take away those few exceptions. He was the one guy on offense that – was able to turn things around. And overall, he had a pretty solid day. It just wasn't good enough with the fact that there were some missed third down throws where he was uncharacteristically inaccurate in the first half. And you had that fumble where they could have gotten at least three points out of that drive. And that changes things uh, quite a bit when you're looking at where the fourth quarter headed. But even then, the Seahawks still would have needed to get a stop and they were not able to do that. Nonetheless, I thought Geno showed plenty of moxie out there after looking a little bit frazzled in the first half, something we haven't seen much from him. I thought that he played pretty well in the second half, and, and Seahawks obviously wouldn't have been anywhere close in this game if they would not have gotten those two touchdown passes, including the fourth down touchdown to Marquise Goodwin. So he was coming through in the clutch. It was just a little too little too late there for the Seahawks offensively. On the defensive side of the ball, this was actually a really challenging one because there were a couple of names that jumped out that made big plays, but I didn't think any player on the Seahawks necessarily stood out as a shining star on the defensive side of the football. Everybody was making mistakes at some point, but I'm going to go with the player that had my favorite play of the game, in part because I'm still trying to figure out what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were doing. In the third quarter, they had all the momentum. It was 14-3. to They're down by the red zone. They've got an opportunity. If they make it 21-3, this game is over. The way the Seahawks offense is playing, the game would have been finished, and they got too cute. Byron Leftwich decides to have a tailback pass from their Wildcat package to Tom Brady. They ran this play a couple plays earlier where it was just a run, and Tom Brady was not covered. So they thought they could take advantage of that. Well, Tariq Woolen, I guess, fooled them, and he was right there. Tom Brady ended up stumbling. 
I don't think you're going to put a 45-year-old quarterback running routes against a guy that runs a 4-2-6-40 and has four interceptions in the season and expect that you're going to have a good result from it. But nonetheless, that was Tariq Woolen's fifth interception of the season, and it was a crazy one at that. Tom Brady then getting penalized for tripping him at the end of the interception. And so that was really the, the play that jumped out to me on defense for the Seahawks. And he had another pass breakup in this game as well. Maybe you charge the touchdown to him. I have to go back and look at the first touchdown that Julio Jones had, whether or not he was supposed to carry the receiver there. I was torn watching it live. Once I have a chance to look at the all 22, I'll be able to hopefully reach a verdict on that. But again, nobody played perfect on defense for the Seahawks. I still thought Tariq Woolen had a pretty good game. And Tom Brady was selective about when he targeted him. There were a couple of times he completed passes where the pass was just better than a coverage. The defense was great, but sometimes the offense is going to win. I still thought that number 27 played a pretty solid game. A number of players on that side of the ball struggled today. I don't think Tariq Woolen was one of those. Certainly made some nice plays for the Seahawks and at least kept them within striking distance so that Geno Smith could try to orchestrate that comeback late. That interception gave them an opportunity and they couldn't get any points off of it, unfortunately. That's not number 27's fault, though. So a stellar rookie season continues for Tariq Woolen and maybe the star of the game. And this is never what you want to have. No offense to punters, but you don't want punters to be your star of the game. And yet Michael Dixon was that in the first half when the Seahawks couldn't get anything going with their run game. The passing game was off on third down. They couldn't sustain drives. That meant a lot of number four on the field, Michael Dixon punting. And his first punt was an awful one. It only went 41 yards. It gifted the Buccaneers outstanding starting field position, but they weren't able to score off it, so it didn't matter. What I really want to look at, though, is the last two punts that Michael Dixon had in the half because you got to see a little bit of both styles for pinning teams deep. There's the coffin corner punt, which is extremely difficult to do in terms of punting and getting the ball to go out inside the 10-yard line. Dixon's fourth punt was a perfectly placed coffin corner punt that went out of bounds at the four-yard line, and it pinned the Buccaneers deep. A couple plays later, Tampa Bay has to punt it right back to the Seahawks. Seattle couldn't do anything with it, so Dixon again the master at punting that he is, the magician that he is. On the next one, somehow he punts it, and this one was right in the middle of the field, and it had that perfect bounce off the turf where it only went back a couple yards. It wasn't one of those that ended up shooting back 20 yards in the end zone. It only bounced a couple of yards. There is an art to that, and that allowed Tariq Young to down it at the two-yard line, and the Buccaneers took a couple of knees really close to the goal line. The Seahawks were calling their last two timeouts there, hoping that maybe Tom Brady would take a knee on the end zone. Of course, that didn't happen. But those last two drives, the Buccaneers were pinned deep, and they weren't able to get any points out of that. So really the one bright spot in the first half for the Seahawks on the offensive side of the ball, if you want to consider a punter offense, Michael Dixon was the highlight. And that's going to happen when you have more penalties than first downs. It was just a very difficult half of football on that side for the Seahawks. But Michael Dixon doing what he has always done since coming to the league with clutch punts, pinning the opponent deep. He had four punts out of five where the Buccaneers started inside their 15-yard line. So if you're focused on the field position battle, Michael Dixon absolutely made a difference in this football game and got the job done for the Seahawks. Coming up next, we're going to roll into the third quarter of our weekly postcast, and that means – Three up, three down. Our studs and duds from the Seahawks defeat in Munich. We'll get to those players coming up next here on Locked on Seahawks. 
We're nearly halfway through the NFL season, week 10 currently underway. I've got Justin Herbert breaking out of a mini slump and throwing for two touchdowns against the 49ers on Sunday night football. That might not seem like a bold lead, but with prize picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players and they score more or less than their prize picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And Prize Picks offers projections on any sports you watch, whether that's NBA, MLB, NHL, even disc golf, if you want to. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Safe and fast withdrawals. Currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play. Daily Fantasy Sports first-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Price Picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the postcast edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks to all the 12s out there. If you're tuning in from Germany, if you're in Ireland, wherever you're listening from, we greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. They've got the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and of course, the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right. It's time for our weekly three up, three down. Now, the last two games the Seahawks have played so well in all phases that I haven't really had any candidates to put on the three down list. Of course, when you lose a game the way the Seahawks did today, especially, there are going to be some players on both sides of the coin. So it's time for our week 10 studs and duds from Munich. Let's get to three up first, the positives, the players that really jump out for the Seahawks. And I'm going to start off with Marquise Goodwin as my first player here on three up. And it just feels like every time that the Seahawks have had an opportunity to get the football to Marquise Goodwin, he has made something good happen. You go back to that win against the Chargers where DK Metcalf exits late in the first quarter and they only have Tyler Lockett and he's maybe 75% healthy dealing with his own injuries. All Goodwin does is catch two touchdown passes in that game to help the Seahawks get the big road win in LA. Today, he only had two targets, and this was coming off of a groin injury that cost him last week's game. He did not play for the Seahawks in Arizona, maybe not 100% going into this game, but catches two passes, and the biggest one being his touchdown in the fourth quarter that pulled the Seahawks within five points, and that was a fourth down play. The Seahawks converted on two fourth downs on that drive, and that second one, Geno Smith decided, I'm not going for the first down marker. I'm going for the jugular here, and it was a great throw by Geno Smith, and it was a placement throw. He threw it to the corner of the end zone, and he allowed his speedy receiver to go get it, but it was a really difficult catch, too, because the football had to be placed low so the defender couldn't get his hands on it and Marquise Goodwin had to corral that football while diving for it and there were some people that wondered if he didn't control the catch all the way through the process he did of course and the Seahawks got the touchdown so that was one of those cases a great throw and a really great catch so on both sides of the coin both players making big plays for the Seahawks and this feels like this kid every single time that they have needed Goodwin to make a catch and I'm using the term kid a little bit relative here the guy that's in his early 30s but he's still an explosive athlete and the Seahawks are taking advantage of him 
every time they can. Geno Smith continues to develop chemistry with him, and he just seems to come up with clutch catches when the Seahawks absolutely need him to. Second on my list, you look at the stat line. Noah Fant did not have the game that he did last week. He had 96 receiving yards in Arizona today. He had just 34 on three catches. So why is he on this list? Well, I still thought that he was coming up with some really clutch plays in the passing game that set the Seahawks up with opportunities to put some points on the board. But more importantly, early in this football game, Geno Smith was under some duress, particularly with Joe Tryon on the outside, was able to get to him once. There's a couple other times that he was getting after it. I noticed in the second half that Noah Fant, even if it was just chip blocks, he was doing the little things that aren't going to get noticed on a box score to help keep Geno Smith protected. They were running a more quick quick strike passing game as well on top of that, but it limited the opportunities for the Buccaneers to get after Geno Smith. And I just feel like Noah Fant has made really remarkable strides as a blocker. It's still not necessarily a strength in his game, but this was a player coming out of Iowa that was just viewed as a big body receiver. Very little regard for his blocking ability. And even in Denver, that was the case. And he's really made a big leap here in Seattle in that regard. Run blocking, pass blocking, you name it. There's been some mistakes along the way this year, but it really feels like this kid is coming to his own as an all-around tight end. And the Seahawks were able to get him involved in the passing game today, and they also had him chipping in and blocking. And I just think he's playing really well. And in a game where you had a number of players that made some big plays but also had some missed opportunities, he continues to be a consistent rock for the Seahawks at the tight end position. And on the defensive side of the football, let's give some love to Cody Barton because he has been on the other side of this coin on three down, probably far more than I would like to have one player on that list this season. There have been some really rough games for Barton in his first full year as a starter. The Falcons game really struggled when Cordell Patterson was running all over in the Saints game. I thought there were some missed tackles left in the field and struggled, but Cody Barton, let's give him some credit because Today, he had nine tackles, which was second on the team. There were a few times that he got caught on blocks. Jordan Brooks had the same thing happen to him. Some of that boils down to the way the front line played, and it allowed the blockers to get to the linebackers at the second level. So it was far from a perfect performance. But Tom Brady had not thrown an interception in 399 pass attempts. That was the second longest streak in NFL history behind only Aaron Rodgers. He was getting close to breaking that record. Tom Brady does not turn the ball over very much. And yet after Geno Smith's first touchdown pass to Tyler Lockett, Barton comes up with one of the biggest plays of the season, what could have been one of the biggest plays on defense for the season and intercepts Tom Brady, snaps that streak just shy of 400 pass attempts. That's a really big deal. And so let's give number 57 some credit. I thought he was flying around the field. He made some nice tackles around the line of scrimmage. Again, not a perfect performance, but that interception was huge. It gave the Seahawks the opportunity to go down and get that second passing touchdown, cut the lead to five, and they had the opportunity. They could have just gotten off the field. Cody Barton granted that to them with that interception, setting up that touchdown drive. So in a day where a lot of the defensive players had a lot of mistakes in the field, I felt like Cody Barton had one of his better games in the middle for the Seahawks. All right, my least favorite part of the postcast now, especially during a defeat, the three down segment. And those of you that listen to this show regularly know that I do not like using position groups. I consider that too generic. But in this case, that's the route that I'm going for the first two picks that I have on here, rather than just pointing out one player on the Seahawks for three down. For me, the interior O-line 
and the defensive line in general, they both got to be called out for the way that they played in this football game. Let's start with the interior offensive line. And this was something that we mentioned on the podcast on Friday, that this was going to be one of those games, offensive and defensive lines matter in every NFL game. But even with the star power that both these teams have at the skill positions, this felt like a matchup where specifically the guards and the center were going to have a lot on their shoulders for who is going to win this game for both teams. Because the Buccaneers guards and center have struggled this year. They've had injuries. They lost Ryan Jensen for the season, most likely, in training camp. Ali Marpet retired during training camp or before training camp at the age of 28 and they lost Alex Kappa in free agency. I mean, this team has been decimated along their offensive line. They were missing their rookie uh, Luke Gadecki at right guard. So that this team has just been banged up. They haven't been able to run the football and for them to come out the way they didn't play and really push around Seattle's defensive line, Seattle's interior offensive line wasn't able to do that. The biggest concern in my opinion, coming into this game, was dealing with Vita Vea and Akeem Hicks in the middle. And those two were major problems today. Maybe don't have the tackle numbers, but that doesn't matter. The Seahawks could not get push, and it allowed Devin White to have maybe one of the best games of his career. Devin White was everywhere today for the Buccaneers because the Seahawks couldn't get any anybody on him at the second level to block it. And with his speed, he had a sack where he shot through. Uh, the backfield, and got to Geno Smith. He was all over the place making plays. The front line set the tone for the Buccaneers in this game. And I thought that was the one major advantage that the Bucs might have going into this game. And it played out that way with Vea and Hicks in the middle. They were getting some nice pass rushes early in the game, too, that helped set things up for the outside rushers. So I thought those two really were a nuisance for the Seahawks in this game. And the interior offensive line did not respond necessarily to that the way that I thought they would. Now, I thought the pass protection in the second half was much better from that group, but they were never able to get their run game going. And the biggest reason they couldn't was they could not win those battles in the interior or at least stalemate things. They were getting pushed around. They were getting knocked off the line of scrimmage. And that made the Seahawks one-dimensional on offense. And Geno Smith was able to make it work in the second half, but this game might have been a little different if the Seahawks could have found a way to get their run game going a little bit. And I just felt like the interior offensive line didn't necessarily step up to the table when the Seahawks needed them to against a really challenging opponent. Tip of the cap to the Buccaneers' defensive line. As I mentioned for the Seahawks' D-line, they've been playing so well in this recent four-game winning streak with that aggressive, one-gapping, uh, penetrating style. That aggressiveness played against them today, though. The Buccaneers, in the run game in particular, Going back and watching the film later this week, I'll be able to examine what specifically they ran. But they were running a lot of concepts with pulling guards and tackles. They were getting kickout blocks. They were getting to the second level on linebackers. There were multiple defenders ending up in the same gap. It looked like the early season issues that the Seahawks had defending the run. A lot of those bad habits ended up coming back to the forefront of this game. And the Buccaneers deserve credit for making that happen because I think they had a good game plan running the football. And maybe the Seahawks, as I mentioned earlier, just overlooked them. But aside from Shelby Harris having a couple nice pressures as a pass rusher, I thought the defensive line as a whole did not play well against the run, particularly the defensive tackles. Thought they got pushed around today. It was definitely a regression. It was a step back for that group. And they're going to have to bounce back after the bye week. You can't take any team lightly in the NFL, and I'm not saying that they did, but they certainly didn't look like they were ready to go against a Buccaneers offense that still has plenty of talent and can run the football. They proved it today, haven't been able to all season, but really thought the trench play for the Seahawks in the interior specifically 
was not where it needed to be to win this football game. And it ended up being a big problem on offense and defense. And finishing up the three down here with an individual player, there's a number of guys that I could have put on here. But Quandre Diggs is being paid as a top flight safety in the NFL. And he deserved that money. This has been a two-time Pro Bowler. He's one of the best free safeties in football. But they need to start seeing him playing at that level. Now, I will say this. I have felt like he has played better the last few games. We've seen him flying around, smacking people. I did not see that early year. He admitted, you know, coming off of his ankle injury, the broken leg last January, that maybe he was not playing with the aggression that we have seen from him in the past because of that injury. And then he looked like his old self the last few weeks. I thought today looked like early in the season, though, and there were a number of times where he could have come up and make a play, wasn't able to get it done. Tom Brady was able to move him with his eyes a little bit. That's the savvy veteran quarterback and get some completions into the middle of field, downfield. And that's not something that happens a lot against the Seahawks defense with Quandre Diggs back there. And so you consider those and the fact that Rashad White put Quandre Diggs on a poster with a stiff arm and threw him backward. You never want to be on the receiving end for that. That really summed up the way today's game was for the Seahawks, though. The Buccaneers, they were the aggressor. They were the physical team. They dominated in the trenches. The physicality carried out to running backs going against corner safeties today. They were the more physical football team. And 99% of the time, the more physical football team, as long as they're staying within the rules, they are going to be the team that's going to find a way to win. And that's what the Buccaneers did. And I just thought Quandre Diggs, again, this is not the number six that the Seahawks are used to seeing out there. Maybe not necessarily a horrible performance, but they expect him to be making some game-changing plays. And you're just not seeing that right now from him. This felt like it was one of those games where it really was a struggle for him in coverage and defending the run. They need a bit more from their Pro Bowl free safety moving forward. And hopefully after the bye, they can maybe start getting some pick opportunities for him and he can start making some of those plays that we're accustomed to seeing from him. And it's really been a pretty quiet first half for him. And you could say that on a number of fronts here for this defense today. But number six, it seemed like he was always in the wrong spot. It's a really challenging game for him in Munich. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Check out Locked On Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, I'll be rejoined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. The two of us will dish out some in-depth takeaways from this game with our Monday musings. We'll take a look at the NFC West standings and much more. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday and plenty of more NFL action. Go Hawks.